This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss the second episode of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. This one I can't pronounce. However, it translates to, I live in a big house on the hill. Yes, it was Russian. It got brought up because Miriam Maisel went to college studying Russian literature and exposed how very little this was going to help her in real life. I liked how this episode started, and um, I kind of wish that it that this pattern had been used elsewhere in, in, this, in this series, which was replaying a little bit from where the last episode ended, and then continuing on with more details and all that kind of stuff like this one did in the police station with Lenny Bruce and all that. Cause I also happen to like Lenny quite a bit. Me so. too. I think that's what really made this shine was that Lenny is such an amazing person for her to play off of. You know, he's got so much charisma. It's just like everyone wants to know him or be him or date him or whatever, you know, people that have looked up, um, Lenny, as a result of uh, his his appearing on Mrs. Maisel, have determined, I think, that the woman he says is his wife would have, at that point in time, truly been his ex-wife already. Okay. That he had been married, but divorced by then. Well, you could tell that their relationship was very hit or miss there. But I loved Lenny's, like, his responses to her when she's like, I'm dying here. And he's like, yes, yeah, sitting in a cab must be harrowing. Like, really, I mean, he's just, oh, my goodness. I mean, admittedly, would I want to be married to the guy? No way. But is it really funny to watch as, like, a friend or, you know, somebody who hung out with him? Yeah, he's hilarious. Oh, yeah. I mean, as long as you didn't have super high expectations for, like, Christmas cards and stuff like that, I think Lenny Bruce would be a pretty hilarious friend to have. I also don't think he's probably very faithful. And so that would be another portion. That's just my, I'm throwing it out there. Maybe he was the most faithful guy in the world and people slam me for that. But I just don't get that vibe. But he would be a great pal, somebody to, to really do crazy stuff with. For sure. The little gimmick where she walks by the um, diner and imagines herself there the day after her wedding and then finds herself back there and it's and it's actually a little shittier than she remembers and the bathroom where she she remembers herself having sex is all it says out of order on it like her relationship Aww, is out of how order symbolic. yeah um that was another gimmick that I think they could have used a couple more times in the series. Do you recall if they did that ever? Uh, well, on this rewatch, we'll have to pick it up and see if they do. If you guys remember any times when they did it, definitely shoot us an email or or a tweet. As long as it's not overused, I mean, you could just see how, you know, it was like uh, when panning over from the bathroom door to Midge was like one solid shot. So it was like changing from five years ago or whenever they got married to now. And then the camera lazily kind of goes back and shows the out of order sign. So, you know, like a stagehand had to come in and hang up the sign when no one was looking. And 
is uh, I love that kind of stuff. Very well orchestrated. It's one of the things that I love about this show is that it is shot with such unique fluidity on so many of these scenes. There's so much movement all the time that comes up over and over again. And I think that it's it's so unique. It does give you a little pause about the idea of what is the deal with women directors? Because Amy has been producing and writing since Roseanne. But she hasn't really been doing a lot of directing. And here she is directing most of these episodes, and they have this really expensive-looking cinematic style that, I mean, if you, we were a Gilmore Girls fan, yeah, they did long walk-and-talks, which were complicated, but Amy didn't really direct very many of those, if any, that I know of. Other than that, the conversations and stuff were all staged very normally for a TV show. I'm going to beg to differ a little bit with you on this one because I feel like going back to Roseanne, you can see that fluidity of the camera. Like, and it might not have been Amy, but I still think that there was a lot of influence there. Think about how they shoot the opening credits where it's like, it goes all around the dinner table and it's like looking at each of their faces and it's Mm, like, it's very fluid and there's a lot of movement. I think that there's something to that. And and with Gilmore Girls, there's a lot of that too, where you're like looking at Lorelai and you kind of swing around the kitchen or you swing around and there's just a lot of movement. And I think you see that in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel as well. And it what it reminds me of or what it is indicative of is the fast pace of like real life. Like real life, people don't just stand there and speak to one another like standing still. You're like picking things up and moving around and the camera, the way that it kind of follows you back around, the person might, you know, walk with you to the next room and come back around at you. You know, it feels yeah. more like life, like moving life. Well, I only want to point out just that, I mean, she really did a great job with things like those stylistic choices that go above and beyond what you would have might have guessed based on things like what I was guessing from, which was Gilmore Girls. But if you look at look at what she did with the revival on Netflix, it's its flavor is a lot more like this than it is the old show from the WB or wherever it came from. Well, and she did use some of those techniques of the flashback kind of stuff with Lorelai. Like she would be like in the parents' house and she would kind of like glance from one room to the other. And then her parents would be younger and they'd be talking to her like she was 16 again. Yeah. And they would be having those moments. And then she would kind of, it would, the camera would kind of swing back around and it's like modern day now. Mm. Um, and so, so they, they tried to use like, I think some of that, movement, which I think is, again, like sort of real life where it's like, you know, where you have those flashes of your memory where you're like, I totally remember sitting on that bench or I remember a conversation just because you walk by a familiar place or you're 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 hearing words that sound familiar and it like shoots you back to that moment. It's definitely feels like alive, you know, speaking of being alive. Midge gets back and starts her exercise class with Imogene. And you paused the section just before the start and you're like, let me know what you think of this exercise class. <laughs> I don't know what they were getting out of that. I mean, that was... Uh, it would be toning. I mean, some of the stuff that they were doing, like definitely, toning. like well, if you lean back on your butt and you keep your legs in the air and your and your shoulders up off the mat and stuff, like it's definitely like pumping your core and stuff. And some of those movements are like, it's almost like a ballet class that they're doing in a lot of ways. And then also I found the movements to be like extremely childlike. Like some of those moves they were doing is like, like that hang like a rag doll. I swear to God, we did that in like elementary school but, and I mean, crab walking and stuff. To add to what you're saying, childlike, like I know that it was a different time and all that kind of shit, but, but 
I mean, if you look what women and people wear to to work out these days, it is like very task specific, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but what they were wearing looked like you could wear that to the beach or to a picnic or (laughs) to to something else. Well, one of the deals was if you, if you like really paid attention is that they were not attempting to break a sweat. Mm. And in fact, like kind of at the end, she kind of even like felt her, the side of her head because Imogene was like, quit working so hard. Like you're going to turn out to be like one of those four. And then she was pointing out these like divorcee women who were like trying hard to like be in shape because they were trying to attract a new man. Right. And they have men. So they're just trying to be able to like burn off some calories so that they just maintain exactly where they are. If you watch the extras in that scene, you'll see that. Midge and Imogene are really flapping their little wings as they fast are. as they can, but uh, most of the others are going at at least half as fast. If Some that. of them are older than them as well. And so it's it's kind of interesting because I felt like, you know, those exercises don't seem like that they would do that much. But then at the same time, I feel like if you did them every day, you know, and you did like these crunches and you did this like rolling back and forth. Right, the crab walking. <laughs> you, you think you'd get a lot out of that every day? I mean, I, it's certainly not the intensity that they would claim that you need now so it would be interesting like here in our town they actually tried to open up one of these like old-fashioned exercise places like not that long ago i mean i would say maybe five years ago like you guys it actually had one of those belts with like that like vibrated you you like put it around your bit your belly and it like wiggles you it was like so bizarre i was like i can't even believe this is like a real place right that's working out But apparently there is, you know, I don't know, some amount of calories, I guess, burned. I mean, it would all be so microscopic, but the way that they ate and the way that they like minded their figures and stuff was all very different than how it works now. So maybe you don't have to exercise to the intensity if you don't have Big Macs and stuff in your world. You're not measuring calves on a regular basis like Midge? You know, I don't even know what to think of that because I, I'm sure, I'm positive there are women who do that, but I guarantee you that the majority of them are actually people who are looking to gain muscle and looking to change the, like... Um, well, she wants to stay exactly the same. Right. So that part is, like, kind of tricky. And I think, to me, that stuff, while while people may have done that, to me, that is, like, such a metaphor for what is actually going on with her, that we see this a lot in this episode, with her sort of grappling with this, like, I want to just stay who I was, exactly who I was. Mm -hmm. Like, before I had kids, while I was married, everything, I just want to stay that Miriam, which is, you know, down to my inches, you know, like everything has to stay the same. And that whole conversation that she has with Susie, you know, when Susie comes to sort of be like, let's, you know, try to get an act really revolved around that idea of like her trying to even wrap her brain around like, how am I supposed to be this new person? I really just want to maintain exactly who I am. That conversation in her memory at the diner was basically her laying out the the roadmap for being that person, right? She wants to live in this, in a building with a doorman and this and that and these other things that she had very specific ideas on. And Joel was saying he'd rather other things, but he's not going to tell her no. So that really agrees with what you're, what you're saying. Yeah. And I think that you just see it like over and over in this episode. There's just, there's so many parts where she's just trying to act like this is normal and that we're all just, we're all just moving forward and we're all just going to act like this is all normal. And Susie's whole rant, like when they're walking between the apartments and stuff, 
first of all, reminded me a lot of like a Luke rant, especially the sticky hands comments. That's very from Gilmore Girls to me. Um, but the entire idea of like her like narrating how crazy this life really was, you know, like your apartment's gigantic. Is this Versailles? And, you know, what, what are we in a, a, you know, a backup apartment? Like how everything she just narrated Midge's entire life, if you look at it, you know, yeah, and was just sort of like saying like, this is surreal, you know, nobody lives like this. And the idea that, you know, you basically have Miriam answering like, yeah, but I want to maintain this like as long as I can. What did you think about Susie's entire tact with this, that she was going to actually thinking she was going to sit down after that first, you know, spew on stage and think that she was going to get Miriam to like, commit to some sort of like routine with her? Well, it lets me know a couple things. It lets me know that maybe it's true that she did, that she did see something super unique in Midge on stage. But it also tells me that Susie is probably in a fairly stagnant, if not completely desperate place in her life, where unlike Midge, who wants everything to stay the same, Susie is so tired of the same. And she would like something to come along to improve it and she thinks she found it well and she's willing to change and looking for change whereas you have you know midge quite the opposite like trying to cement her feet and keep her life as you know uniform as possible you know but she has these like breakout moments one of the moments that i thought was like real interesting about that was that she gave Susie money at the end of this in exchange and at first Susie was like what is this for and she's like for bail and it's like okay fine but it was interesting because later with her father, there was a discussion in the bedroom and Abe gives Miriam money and she's like, what's this for? And he's like, I don't know. Like, it's like, there's like this weird <laughs> of like, where like the end of conversations just end with somebody giving somebody else money, like just here, be quiet. That's interesting. You know? Yeah. It's kind of funny. It's definitely felt very uh, like a learned behavior, you know, like I saw my dad do this. So I'm giving you money, you know. Speaking of the dads, the father-in-laws both figure pretty prominently into this episode. You know, selecting guys like Kevin Pollack and Tony Shalhoub to come in and play these parts that aren't even in every episode was probably an expensive idea, but it was very worth it because oh gosh, yes. they, whenever either of them are on stage, they consume the screen, you know, every, every, every good line goes to them. I mean, Joel does not get anything meaningful said when he appears walking into his dad's office for like five minutes. <laughs> right. I agree. You know, and when he does finally speak, he's plainly scared of his dad because he doesn't tell him the truth. He does say that we're splitting up, but he doesn't tell him why. And he actually denies it. Like when, you know, his dad's like, who's, who's the girl? He's his, like, his dad's nope, nobody. Very smart. Well, and I think it's just so predictable. Like Joel wouldn't leave without a backup. <laughs> of course. That's, that's how it works. Like she, like he's just going to move from one girl to another. He's not going to go be a bachelor. Like that's not what a guy like Joel's going to do. Right. He's going to have another girl. Need ready. someone to take care of him. Right. Hell yeah! Somebody's going to be making dinner for him every night. As a contrast to the bombastic and. Uh, overstated moish we follow abe into class where he 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 constructs an analogy out of a, a vector uh, definition it was hilarious i do not find math funny at all to be clear okay like he's right. a professor at columbia of mathematics 
that does not sound like a jokey job, okay? But when he goes into this whole vector thing and he's like, V1 and V2, you know, they're they're never going to break up forever. But V1's dad is not going to be around forever. <laughs> and he draws that little RIP, you know, little gravestone. Oh, my God. I was dying, dying. Yeah, there's. I mean, it's it's pretty clear what he meant in that whole scene. It's not it's not that there's a whole lot to discuss, other than it was just so well acted, you know. And he was he's like so dry about how he explains things. Like to me, it's like that's what's so different about the two dads. Like Abe is so matter of fact, but hilarious, like on point, but like matter of fact. On the other hand, like Moisha is always going to, he's like, he is like bombastic's a great word. He's like so over the top. He's going to, he's going to talk you to death, but he's going to fill like the air with every word he possibly can. And he's going to build this colorful world of crazy all around you. Abe's going to say like half or a tenth of the words that Moisha says, but his words are going to sting and get right to your heart. You know, like he's going to, he's just going to sum it up in a second. It's no wonder they don't really like each other. <laughs> They're cut from two different cloths completely, right? So I'm not overly familiar with the Jewish faith. But Rosie's trip to Drina's parlor, I wonder if that's a thing. like, I Or is that just maybe a New York thing? No, I don't think it's that at all. I honestly just think that it's one of those things that like, it goes back to sort of the exercise class and other things like that. Like, I think that there's just like things that people used to do and, and a fortune teller and the idea of like believing in, I don't know, I, it, it's like, how can I say this? To be honest with you, though, like women of that time, they couldn't have gone to like a therapist and just like talk this out. And there's this like huge need to keep everything hidden. Like you don't talk about your dirty laundry. So Rose couldn't go talk to a friend about having problems with the marriage. Right. And she couldn't go talk to like a therapist or anybody about it. So this fortune teller thing, I think, is this like light version of like, how do I get this stuff off my chest and sort of get some advice that like doesn't exist in society for me. Like I cannot tell our family secrets to anybody because you just don't badmouth the family, you know? And yet I've got to get some feedback. I'm I'm still, you know, I'm a gal and I just I, I want to talk it out with somebody. So Drina really offers that. In a way, this scene really doesn't drive the plot forward, but it does have one of the most hilarious lines. Uh, there's danger. There was danger for her in Paris. Oh, the bread. Yes, the bread. Is, <laughs> that was hilarious. Well, and again, though, like the fact that they were like they agreed upon that bread was danger. Was the danger? Mitch. Like, right. I mean, it's just it's like this whole other way of thinking that it would be like carbs would ruin her. <laughs> right. You know, that's just like oh my god. Oh, there was danger for her in Paris. <laughs> the whole thing. So then, if we talk about Rose, we've got to talk about Shirley, Joel's mom. Now, this scene with the phone call is super foreign. We have uh, not gone through divorces ourselves, Caroline and I. But we have been in the periphery of a couple divorces. And let me tell you, the in-laws are like set up like opposing camps on a Civil War battlefield, right? They are not exchanging notes. But I would say that this part might be a little more cultural, that this part might be a little bit more like how they shared, I'm going to call it a pew and it's probably not, but a temple. And they like went in on that because it cost money to like buy it. Like, I think that there's a little bit more shared- Responsibility? Kind of, yeah. And I think that there's still a lot of like, at least like I'm going to say stereotypically, like a lot more where 
mothers continue to specifically in the Jewish faith, be a little bit more like hands-on and involved and like getting them more, they're more involved. They're going to be more like sitting, you've heard like matchmaking and all that kind of stuff. Like yeah, that. they seriously like, thought that they, they with, amongst themselves, the mothers-in-law could patch this thing up. They could pull the right levers and pull the right strings to get the kids back together but, again. And sometimes though, I wouldn't say that they're crazy. Like I would say that like, I think that there's a lot to be said for like, the amount of control like okay so for in our own families like we definitely have families who still are supportive and on a level that's like far more than our friends friends might be like what do you mean you're you would ask your parents what they think about that or something but like we still maintain that so i get it some of that i think is just like old world where you, we would have generations that would live in the same household and stuff like that for me i think that there's just like a like this other cultural way of handling things where in America, the, the, the kids go off on their own and they're there to find their own destiny and whatnot. But old world, you know, the money passes down, the jobs pass down, you, you kind of, you know, you do favors for one another, you know, there's like a lot more of that sort of supportive structure. I just, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to you and I'll, and I'll agree with you, but I just know from my own experience, if I, were to just look at you and say, you know what, I'm leaving for a pen, uh, penny pan. The following Thursday, our parents would not be arranging dinner together, okay? Ain't happening. And I could probably say that's true for the other divorces that we've seen around us. I, I'm trying to, I'm really trying to like think on that. Like we don't live in proximity where that would be a thing necessarily, but might they call you and say we should have a dinner together, like the four of us? Yeah, they might. That think about it for a second. Might my parents reach out to you and say, "Paul, let's all sit down to dinner together." I bet they would do that. Now, I don't. I agree with you. The proximity of our parents are not so close that they would be able to call and have your parents. I was, I was, you know, making all things equal. Right, right. But, but I'm thinking about. I mean, do you agree that they would call you, and they would try to meddle and like patch it up? They would not just like let us all walk away. Well, you know. We're closing in on twenty years soon, so yeah, they they've got a lot. <laughs> they got a lot in, in you. <laughs> yeah. I bet they don't let you go so easy. I bet <laughs> they call and say, "What are you doing? What are you up to?" Paula like did a presentation this past week, and my dad was totally texting him, be like, "How did it go? I want to think about you during the presentation. What time are you doing it?" Like, trust me, folks, they would be calling Paula and saying, "Like, let's have a sit down, and we can figure this all out." So for sure, I don't think that that was far-fetched however again that whole dinner if you uh watch Gilmore Girls at all there was that entire dinner with like uh Strobe and Francine Christopher's parents and there was a lot of moments of that conversation where when when uh Moish says like we're not all gonna sit around here and act like nothing's happening like this is all just like you know normal or fine Strobe says practically that exact line well and, and Richard it, throws Strobe out and Richard throws Strobe out so I think that there is an awful lot of of like bleed over and there's a lot of conversation about like oh Christopher will just come work for me and it, you know they're mm. willing to lay it out because guess what I'm saying that's old world but that's also money too where you don't just let your kid go just fly off and get their own career or whatever no 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 this is family money this is family name and we are gonna put you in position for success and so there's like there's a lot of that I think that comes into play again because of money which clearly they have because <laughs> can you believe that Moish actually owns their apartments? If you uh, were taking notes like Caroline and I were, you will see that earlier that evening, 
Moish says that uh, just come and ask him. He'll do he'll do anything for Midge and the kids. And then after Joel screws something up, when when I think he tells him to like get out of my life, that kind of something. Moish takes the action of taking the whole house away from the family. I can't. I mean, that was like some cruel business, you know? And shoot, if I was a hells yeah, would that be the time we're throwing him out? Because like, that's too much. But like, what builds Joel up to that point of being so sick of his father? Meddling in his ways. Well, earlier that's that episode we had seen where forces above Joel's head managed to make it so that Penny didn't work for him anymore and was actually far away from him. And instead he got Mrs. Mouskowitz as <laughs> as his replacement. Mrs. Mouskowitz. I love that. Wasn't it Fievel Mouskowitz? Yeah. It was like totally from American Tale. That's right. It's an adorable name. But yeah, so I mean, if you were Joel, I mean, what a sneaky move on Moisha's part to be like, are you having an affair? No. Okay. And then he just whispers in his uh, the uncle's ear, like, hey, switch his secretary and let's see if he explodes. Bam! You get the explosion. It's like, oh, so you're having an affair with your secretary. Like, how easy was that? How predictable? Well, and then he, later Clever. on, he explains that whole bit where he's like, I heard the name Penny Pan. I thought, that's a stupid name, but I thought that would probably be it. So. <laughs> that's a stupid name. <laughs> love it. Love it. There were so many good one-liners out of all these parents. Like, even Shirley, when she's like, she's like, what is this appetizer? And they're like, it's French. She's like, oh, French food is salty. Was that on purpose? Like, what? What? Who, who talks like that? But it's like, it's like the stuff you would say in your head, right? Like, you know, was that on purpose? You think that in your own brain, you know? Or like Abe, when he invites Joel into the bedroom and tells him that he would and he would enjoy throwing him out of a much a much higher window out of this building, because this far down, he it's not a for sure thing that he would die on impact. Exactly. What I loved, he was like, "Don't call me. Don't don't. No, you don't say my name." He's like, "You just cross the street, and I don't care if there's a pedestrian walk because your pedestrian safety is not in my concern." I was like, "Oh my god." There are so many excellent one-liners. That whole thing with Shirley continuously going back into the kitchen to try to like redo what they were making for dinner and like add to it and make her own. Like the fact that she was getting out a frozen chicken soup that she had put in their freezer from how long ago. It was like, oh my God. And she was like going to go get some of her ingredients out of her purse that she just like carries around with her. Like I can, you know, I can about meddling. evaluate Moish's behavior as another guy. But Shirley's behavior is just like flat out annoying to me as a guy. I, I imagine amongst women politics, <laughs> the idea of going into another woman's home and like stashing food for the next time that you're there because you're counting on the food being there to being not to your standards so that you can eat it later. That's got to be more than annoying. Oh, that's right? like some power play shit. I mean, that's the point. Like both Shirley and Moish did the same thing. They just went behind their kids' backs and did whatever they wanted to do anyway. Like they pulled strings left and right with the kids, you know, down to like dinner, you know, trying to serve other things for dinner that was not on the menu. And I don't know if it's like really a woman thing, but it's like a busybody move to like not just sit down and be a guest. I mean, it obviously ruffled Rose's feathers. She like constantly was like putting her hand back on Shirley's shoulder <laughs> or chasing after her or like whatever, which provided like an awesome backdrop to the fathers who were arguing and they had totally been meddling on like another level because Abe had told her 
to go put on her face and go chase down Joel. Here's mm -hmm. Moish, like totally getting involved and like busting up his affair, basically. So they were meddling just as bad, but like on this like domestic level, Shirley and Rose were like, Rose was trying to protect her daughter and being like, this is my daughter's meal, don't do that. And Shirley's like, whatever, I'm just gonna do it anyway. Yeah. Like they were totally doing it just in their own ways. When no one's looking, Midge has had enough and she runs away. I loved Susie's <laughs> With the Wichita evaluation Wichita. <laughs> of the talent level on, on stage needing to be replaced uh, summarily with a shove. Of. Well, you know that when you see like her coming in hot, you're like, you know what? We're going to need a clear path directly to the microphone for Wichita. <laughs> ha. It's <laughs> so funny. But okay, so that complete barfing up of truths, you know, with the fact that she doesn't. Uh, know anything about her finances she doesn't know anything about her own home or you know where she lives and and how this all works and i i appreciate it because i joke often with my other friends definitely uh my friend wendy on so many shows.com we joke all the time about the idea of like bras and just like just like it's like so hard to think when you have such an uncomfortable situation going on and so when she says like bras and corsets and girdles we're all, you know, designed to cut off the circulation to your brain. So when your husband tells you something, you just you just believe him. You just go with it. I think there is a whole lot to that. The whole idea of like when you make us worry about all this, like essentially nonsense is like what I would categorize corsets and all that stuff into. It's like you have us worrying so much about our hair and our makeup and our figure and everything that like we don't even ask questions about like, who owns our house and how much money do we make? And are we paying the bills? And, you know, you've got us doing busy work over here. And there's a lot to be said to that. You you want in on the real shit? You want in at this level? I don't have anything else to follow <laughs> up with. I am in on this level, people. So no worries here. This is this uh, is a strong independent lady no, here. We're not even on levels. Like <laughs> I, I look up to her level oh, from my level. That's sweet. Very sweet. But uh, you know, I think that we do a good job of being equal because you know, thankfully, there's awesome stuff like online banking that can send us an email every morning and let us know what the what the balances are. So we both are aware of that kind of stuff. But I certainly have friends and I know lots of women who are like, I wasn't really aware of how much credit card debt we had or I don't really know what our rate is for our mortgage or where or how we even pay our bills. That's surprisingly more typical than you would even maybe think. You know, but it's very common, especially when it's like a lot of us women are very, very busy in the day to day of like running the household and running around with the kids and stuff that like some of that stuff really does get delegated and kind of not shared, you know. <laughs> Until there's no other choice because Until they're taking the house away. There's right? a freaking penny pan to, <laughs> to really bust stuff up. So once again, adored all of the set decorations, all of the beautiful costume design. I thought all of it was amazing. Love the music choices at the very beginning there when she's like walking in the downtown yeah, area. That, that kind of German pop song, I imagine, Loved it. At, at the time. Oh my God, so like engaging. And I feel like they do a wonderful job of like, putting you right back into that time. And I appreciated that they bothered showing things like the exercise class, those kind of small moments like her, when she realized in this episode that she started putting on her lipstick and brushing her hair again and then being like, wait, I don't have anyone to go to bed to so I can just put my cold cream on. 
some of that was like, wow, you know, we're getting these like really actually intimate glimpses on like what it was like to be a woman in that time. That's not this very generic, you know, overview of like, well, the husband went to work and the wife stayed home. But it was like, but look at this detailed exercise class and look at this, you know, grooming routine and stuff like it's so much more detailed than so many other shows would ever show you. You ever wonder, and I bet you never do, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you look around, you're on the road, you're driving around, you see the cars around you, right? Some are in pristine shape, some are old, some are battered, some are new and kind of battered, some are old and definitely kind of battered. But a battered, they may have dents or broken windshields or mirrors missing or little chrome bits not there where they should be or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. This is how you see the normal world right? Okay. But whenever you see a period movie or TV show like like uh, Mrs. Maisel or 112263, mm. they have to get all the cars that they use from collectors that have restored their cars to perfection. So you never see the beaters in these, in these things. You know what I mean? Right. Unless it's like a plot point or something. But Unless yeah. it's a plot point, right. You're right. Or, like or, the cab that was going by was like really shiny. And like, like if they were going to make like an Archie movie or something like that, his jalopy would, would be like right. not working very well. But, you know, it, like I was just noticing all the cars in Mrs. Maisel and they're like really awesome period cars. But uh, then I was thinking, thinking they can't all be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and part of that point too was, I mean, to your point, yes, absolutely. And, And I think that that's one of those things that I think stylistically, if you're in Uptown, they're not going to show you anything that's not shiny and gleaming and perfect, you know, Mm. because that's part of the personality that is uptown, you know? Mm -hmm. I think downtown, when they were showing you the people yelling out of the windows, the man pissing on the street. The dog. Yeah, all that stuff. Sure, there probably were beaters on the street. Maybe that would be an interesting thing to go back and look like, was there a broken down car? Surely, if those cars were all shiny and perfect, yeah, I call bullshit like you. Like, there's no (laughs) way they were all beautiful cars at that time. That, That makes sense. So... But basically, I do agree that that this that the set and stage and everything that they do, like when uh, we've recorded this a little bit after uh, the award season for the TV shows, and so Rachel Brosnahan and Amy Sherman Palladino have already won Golden Globes and different different things for for this show, and um, one of the things Amy said was she wanted to thank uh, New York. And Amazon for making New York look like it did in the in the fifties, but I gotta imagine that that uh, they did it in like they couldn't leave it set up, you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like so, they had to do it, shoot it, and take it down. You know, it's not weird. Whatever it was, so moving the old cars, moving the old window everything, boxes or whatever, everything. And, the way that all the buildings and everything, everything, the street signs, that everything would look so much more, I think, like stylized. Just, and even if they even weren't, even if it's not authentic to that time, I think that the the vibe of the whole show is so stylized that like they would go over the top to make it look, you yeah. know, really flashy and, and rad, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I am loving this show and I cannot wait to do episode three with you. I know that there were so many parts in this that like, I felt like we could relate to in all the family drama and everything as a Gilmore Girls lover, you know, there were so many portions that really were like, man, I, I feel like it's not a rip on Gilmore Girls or anything she's already written. It's just that these experiences are so common amongst families that 
yes, it happened in the Gilmores, and yes, it's happening, you know, in the Weissman's house, because guess what? This is the shit that happens at families. You know, when you go to have a family dinner with in-laws, there's going to be a story that the one guy always tells that everybody else is like rolling their eyes, you know? But to your point, though, when you watch an executive producer's work over and over again, like say we have with Damon Lindelof from Lost to The Leftovers and Amy from uh, Gilmore Girls, we didn't really I've do the- Bunheads. I've watched Bunheads. Uh, okay, Caroline watched Bunheads. I did not watch Bunheads. And then to, to Mrs. Maisel, you can see where, like Damon did with Lost, there were certain ideas and- concepts and things that were carried over like amy uses kind of situations and and damon would use kind of concepts but it was the same idea right but i would say that that i agree with you both of them ironically talk a lot about family dynamics like they really dwell hard on family dynamics like with lindelof you know definitely father son you know, stuff. Whereas with Amy, it's very much like women, young women trying to kind of find their place in the world with like sort of overbearing parents Mm -hmm. or expectations placed on them. But the cool thing is if you keep watching these guys, you'll see like the leftovers is only, uh, what? 27, 28 episodes long. Right. Yeah. And he accomplished all, everything that was great and weird about that was kind of crystallized and perfect, right? In those 28 episodes. But in Lost, he needed like 100 episodes to get the same kind of volume of weirdness and and awesomeness that he had in the 28, that he kind of, it's like he refined his own process, his own self, his own storytelling, and said, I don't need 100, sto- 100 episodes. I need just these 28 and I can do it with that. Mm-hmm. Amy's kind of I think doing the same thing where she doesn't need a 20, 22 episode season. She can do it with eight yeah. And and still have the same or not even the same. She can have kind of a lot more because it's the punchiness of it has to be ratcheted up because she's putting so much more into just those eight. I agree with you. And that's where I think like every single scene was really like these capsulized moments that like had to happen. Like they had to have this sort of like in-law meltdown and she had to have the moment with Susie of sort of questioning who she was and like where she was really going in her life and whether she wanted to stay. But even the moments with Lenny, even though it was very short and very concise, it was telling, you know, with him being like, you know, are you in love with it? And him being like, hmm. Like, that's all that had to happen was, like, that interaction. And then, you know, like, oh, man, you know, she's feeling hooked and addicted to the the, the buzz of comedy and standing up there and just revealing all this about herself. And that's all you had to see was, like, two lines between them to get that much growth of a character, mm-hmm. you know, which is pretty amazing. And like you said, I think that it's really a honed skill from Amy and um, – and I think she really had like a story she wanted to tell for a long time. I, I will say that the title of this uh, series, I think, and, and even I know some people have like kind of ranked on like the font of it, like turned some people off because it's kind of a mouthful and it's kind of looks kind of silly. It's not like the same style as the era in the right way. Do you know what I mean? Like it, yes, it probably is from like a 50s or 60s. Like you might have seen a similar font on like an album cover or something. Reminds me of the Bewitched, um, like, uh, you know, the the, the animation at the beginning. It it does, but at the same time, it's like, is that what we think this show is? Is it like Bewitched? 
There's got to be no, something to the way that they I decided to name it. But that's what I mean. Like, I think there's, I think that they, they kind of sold the, the show short by making you have so many associations with the font and the wording and the everything that kind of comes off a little silly when I don't think that the topics and the, and the actual sophisticated level of the acting and the writing actually is. Do you know what I mean? There's got to be some something to it. Like maybe in their big scheme of things, maybe for some reason she marries Joel again. I don't know. but We don't uh, want that to happen. But otherwise, naming it the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel has got to be interesting, right? On the level that today's women anyway, when they get divorced, like, fuck your name. I don't want your name. You know, it's uh, some of them do anyway. Um, but technically, she's not Mrs. Maisel for most of this series, you know? Well, yes. I, I mean, legally, that, she... that may be her name, but she is not Mr. Maisel's wife. True, true. I don't know, but it still bugs me. I don't know. Do you see what I'm saying, though, that it is like, it's kind of too, like, Saved by the Bell kind of goosey name? Like, it's very hard for me to get people to watch it because I feel like people are like, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Like, it sounds like Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. Well, and then, like it, or Miss Or Amelia Bedelia or something. Then like the it pitch being like, silly. It's, a, it's a 1950s lady comedian. Also, That's also hard to, to pitch. <laughs> I, for some reason, it just, it doesn't capsulize it at all, which is, it's really difficult. It just like, I don't, I just feel like it's, it's a mismatch is like the best way I guess I can say it. And, um, Mrs. Maisel was only on our roadmap because of Amy. Absolutely. But and in it, fact, the name initially, as soon as you said it's the next project she's doing is Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I was like, what? So, like, this sounds like an old lady, like weird, just dorky. Like, when is she going to get done with this shit and go back to Gilmore Girls? <laughs> Basically, like, yes, when can we get another revival? Like, I just, I don't know. There was, when you come off of, a Lorelai character who is like so cool and hip and like everyone wants to be here. It is, that's so the antithesis of a marvelous Mrs. Maisel, you know, that just sounds so. Maybe it's supposed to be sappy. ironic. I'm sure I, I'm, I agree with you, but it's hard when you have to like fight the name. Right. When you're just looking at it on, at, yeah. on, on TV guide and it's next to the big bang theory, whatever you like. Uh, next. Next. <laughs> Mrs. Right? Maisel. Mrs. Maisel. It just sounds great. Right. Even when you is just it, said it, it's all like, mm, is is like, it, like a like librarian. A show or? <laughs> it's a librarian. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm so, so glad that we knew about Amy Sherman Palladino and we knew to give this show a chance because we are loving it, loving it, loving it. And I'm very much looking forward to the remaining six episodes. Please let us know. What do you think? Should What would have been a better title for this series? What would have maybe been a better match to who you think how rad that Miriam Midge Maisel really is should it have come up with like some other more I don't know sassy name that sort of better fit her I would love to hear what you guys think thanks a lot thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production pod clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.